his goal to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Let's roll, let's boogie. Kia ora everybody, what's up? It is Rebecca Hollis and welcome to Rebecca Live, episode 317. I hope your Saturday is going well. Welcome along to the weekend. I hope wherever you're at in Aotearoa, you're enjoying the day. I've got to start giving some props straight off the bat with that banter from Don Bowden and Petra Vegas. How good was that? And she's an extremely smart human. I enjoy tuning in at random times of the day whenever I can and um, be able to learn and listen. Um... Coming up on the show today, in just a moment, we're going to be speaking to the CEO and founder of the anti-agency agency Overdose, uh, which is an absolutely big, fast-growing digital um, digital agency in Aotearoa. Julia Jones, the head of insights from NZX, is going to be joining me to talk about Learn, Share, Repeat with what's your favourite podcast, what's your favourite book, what's your learning. And after one o'clock, Simran Kaur from the award-winning podcast Girls That Invest is here. Super, super cool. Simran and her best friend Sonia Gupthin are two millennial investors who are on a mission to make the world of investing less intimidating for women. I absolutely love it. Uh, we've got today our time, Young Bucks and a whole bunch more. Uh, it's good to hear the Prime Minister jumping on there talking about being open for business because when when you're at a digital business, you're always open. Who cares about the borders? I mean, that's if you're digital, you, you live in there anyway. So, no, it's good that um, we're getting back in the mix, opening back up for tourism because there's a whole bunch of hospitality companies and everyone in New Zealand really wanted to kick things back off. Uh, I'm here in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, and I don't know if you've been seeing, but the crypto markets, oh, mate, they've taken a dive. Uh, I got a text, actually. <laughs> this is not financial advice, but I got a friend of mine in, that's in the space, and he was like, mate, take take the coins off the exchanges, put it in a cold wallet, because I don't know if you know, there's a big a Canadian crypto broker called uh, Voyager Digital, um, which is basically suspended its entire ecosystem, its trading, its deposits, everything. Uh, basically, they have... Uh, one of the big other crew have done a notice of default. There's a big hedge fund called Three Arrows Capital, and it basically failed to repay about, I don't know, three quarters of a million dollars, a billion dollars of Bitcoin, and it's not going so well. So everyone's been a bit of a freak out there. So, you know, it's good we can talk about the future of money because we also have, going to be talking about on the show later as well, we're going to have the chief economist of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, uh, Mr. Paul Conway, who's been talking about housing and stuff. Question of the day before we kick off is... What, uh, just going off the back of the, the nice banter that uh, Dom was having with Petra, what is your favourite 0% alcohol product or zero alcohol product? What is your favourite product? Text me through 3920. Let's give, a, let's give some of them shout-outs. I know, obviously, you've got Lisa King with AF. There's a guy, Grant Corner who's doing some good things with State of Play. Um, you can text me through at 3920. All right, let's get rolling. The time now is 12.06pm. Bet live. On Today FM. Talking about digital, so the first guest for this afternoon is Mr. Todd Welling. He's the CEO, CEO of Overdose, the anti-agency agency. Oh, we're going to ask him about that. Since its inception in 2016, Overdose has grown out to a team of over 350 weapons that are helping uh, working across strategy, design, technology, marketing, search and insights, all this great digital stuff. And they've got offices all over the world, um, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Auckland, Singapore, Los Angeles, New York, Seattle, Berlin. Oh, it's a, mate, this guy's calendar must be an absolute gong show. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Todd Welling. Kia ora, brother. Kia ora, Robert. How are you, my man? Oh, I'm doing good, my friend. How is the Saturday rolling? Where are you at and what's popping? 
I am up in the beautiful Bay of Islands, uh, sitting in the car park, having just watched uh, my youngest uh, win 3-0 on Saturday morning soccer. So getting the work-life balance in check. Let's go. I love it. So I'll maybe jump straight into it with this one. I've been obviously, you know, seen the, seen the journey from afar and watching the exponential growth. How absolutely stuffed up is your work schedule calendar when you've got offices in every single time zone in the entire world the entire time? <laughs> Let's start with how do you balance yeah, right. a, a local to global thing? Talk me through it. Let's start there. Um, I think you have to really want it, first of all, um, and sometimes you regret what you wish for, right? Um, so <laughs> especially working with the out-of-phase offices, you definitely work a, a six-day week at a, at a minimum, especially since we've gone into the U.S., and there's plenty of early mornings and plenty of late evenings. Um, and, yeah, look, you know, obviously the numbers you've read there, uh, we've gone pretty bonkers through COVID as well. The team's now touching 500 staff. Um, oh. I'm fortunate as well, Rebecca, but I'm no longer the CEO. So Paul, who is one of the co-founders, has uh, taken that seat on. And I get to go back to my roots, and I've taken a chief growth role instead now. So focusing on new markets, new tech, uh, new pillars of, of the business as well. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty freaky, the calendar. <laughs> but uh, we're always on. So one of the things, um, so, I mean, props, the fact that, I mean, you're at 500 now, not even 350, you're stacking up. Awesome that you've got the self-awareness to be able to de delegate the, the skill sets so you can focus on your core. I wanted to maybe jump into this. You know, you're probably um, one of the biggest, uh, you know, I guess, agencies in this digital space. Can, for those that aren't aware, why do you call yourself an anti-agency agency? What does that mean for Bob the Builder from Timaru that's smacking it out and just listening? What does that mean? Yeah, look, we're, we're only six years old, mate. So when we first came to market, um, you know, for those of you in, uh, in in Auckland and New Zealand, you'll know the little brand I Love Ugly, which is um, incredible menswear, streetwear brand. Um, and we actually started basically in their spare room. Um, and we needed to make a bit of a swing on the market. We needed to find some differentiation. So when we actually sat down and put together the whole concept of what overdose was going to be, that key concept of differentiation was more important for us than being better, right? So we actually sat down with all of people in our network, you know, our mentors, um, and looked at what does the market really need? What does the industry need? And what we looked at was a whole set of value propositions that changed and became the core of what Overdose was. So it was complete transparency, right? It was having a focus on the outcomes of our merchants and clients rather than just trying to click a ticket and, you know, and grow, grow your share of market. It was being pretty raw and genuine in every aspect of, of what we do. So essentially, it's more of a culture break than anything else, buddy. Um, and it meant that there's an incredible resilience that has grown through through the team there. There's an attitude of, of growth. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 interestingly, over the last year, we've started to drop the phrase anti-ATAC because we got to a size where it was hard to represent that you were the small hustle underdog mm. guy where you actually had, you know, a crew of, four or five hundred people around you um but it's still an ethos and an attitude that runs deep in in the core of all of our people well that becomes a thing around culture right so the next bit i was actually going to ask todd is you know through covid all of these analog businesses had to overnight switch to these digital things and understand what microsoft teams wanted and google hangouts and and all of that sort of stuff how have you managed to scale culture 
virtually in a digital world that everyone got forced to live in? Obviously, you live and breathe it, and I live and breathe it. But what are some of the insights you learn around scaling culture with the team remotely all across the world? So I think now what was the biggest challenge for us through COVID, um, there was that one week where it first kicked in where everyone did the, you know, uh, freeze, panic, what the hell is going to happen? Um, you know, clients start seeking budgets. We then suddenly saw the pendulum swing in the complete opposite direction. So we've almost mm. trebled the size of the business th through COVID as everyone started moving that CapEx and OpEx from their analog side into their digital business. Now, what that meant was that we opened up offices in, you know, Berlin, New York, Seattle, um, and Brisbane during that period. And there are people there and leaders in that business that we have never physically met in, in, in person. So we tripled down on the amount of FaceTime that we spend with our staff overseas, but also local as well, mate, because, you know, e even now with, you know, about 50 staff in Auckland, we've now got an office that runs at about 20% capacity because everyone's in a flexi work environment. Mm. So for us to scale, scale culture, it was over-communicating, um, constantly trying to refresh everyone's understanding of what the mission was, what the values stood for, checking in with people, um, resetting our HR policies. We actually inducted a talent team that we'd never had before. You know, HR was one of those things that was kind of run collectively on mass rather than something that was run, you know, by a vertical organization. So bringing in someone to head up our talent team, how we onboarded staff, silly little stuff around how we do merchandising, um, how we connect with other staff across time zones. Because we've got this incredible scenario where if you're doing a job in Auckland or Sydney or Singapore, there's someone else somewhere in the world that's doing that same job as you, be it a marketeer, a programmer, right? So connecting those people just to do these random 30 minutes, you know, FaceTimes or Zooms, really just starts to breed that international culture in there. Mm. And to be honest, if you thought COVID was hard, the war in the Ukraine was even harder because we had like 200 staff over there, bro. Yeah, I, I saw that on LinkedIn when it was popping through. So, I mean, that becomes this, this weight and pressure of leadership. So what did you learn about your own leadership style or what you had to prioritise when all of a sudden you're now from a local to a global marketplace, these things happen which you can't physically control, but you're almost physically sort of responsible for in some ways. What did you learn there? Yeah, 100%. Um, it was a, for me personally, rather than us as a brand, was a moment of huge inward flexion and that understanding and self-awareness of where do I add value to, to the business. And Paul and I now run the business collaboratively together. Paul is a, a, an incredible leader and galvanizer of people. He can, he has that brain space to, you know, have 500 people's best intentions at heart every day and manages to sleep. Um, my psyche is kind of built a bit different and I'm a little bit hyperactive and I need to be looking at fresh, shiny and new glittery things, which means that sometimes you can leave people behind because you haven't correctly communicated what it is that vision is. So going through that process, you know, we've been talking about changing our roles for about six months and that was really where we actually flipped that switch was almost 48 hours before Putin invaded was when we made that call as a collective leadership team. What we had to do then as a whole leadership team, and we were literally at an offsite um, just coming out the back of COVID, was really sit down and understand where our values sat. 
right? Now, we're a bootstrap company. We do not have a big runway of cash sitting in the bank as a, as a, as a reserve. But we basically wrote off a whole quarters of margin and pumped all of that cash over to the Ukraine, moved about 200 people west, got as many people out as we could, shuffled them into our, um, our Berlin office if possible, did some fundraising, all the staff doubled down, our partners came on board, there's like 10 grand donations. And essentially you had this inner realization, which was, I thought I was running a company, but really I'm running a community. And, you know, I was listening to Dominic earlier about what are you grateful for? I'm grateful for those people that give of themselves to our business and that we can give something back. And all I ever find as a leader is that when we give a dollar into our staff, I don't mean that in monetary terms, I mean that in psychological, almost parental values and culture, we always get $2 back from them. Um, so giving is good. I absolutely love the idea about you know, running a community, not a company, especially when you get to a certain size, the scale of it starts to, you know, these numbers you haven't seen and all, you know, sometimes, you know, what you wish for is your potential worst nightmare if you don't know what's coming for you. So before, I've got two last little questions before you go, but I was going to ask, how have you dealt with the pressure of, success and actually getting what you had planned because not many people get that good question um there's been struggles along the way um i think at a personal level i've i've never really found as a entrepreneur i'm not sure if i am an entrepreneur but i'm an accidental entrepreneur i guess um <laughs> the horizons have for me have always kind of been at a zero onto the end of each of those horizons when we first founded the business, you know, Ryan and I, so Ryan heads all, all our creative, uh, we had this vision of building like a $5 million company and 50 staff, and that was ambitious in Auckland, right? We're now six years later, 50, 60 million bucks, 500 staff, right? So I try not to look too far ahead, but as an individual, what I've really struggled with is where does the contentment come? Mm. I personally have a real issue with dealing with failure, you know, and I think that's pretty yeah. common in, in these realms of where you will forget to celebrate the 98% successes and you'll stay awake at night worrying about the, those 2% of failures. Um, I think that you have to surround yourself with a, a group of people that have a shared mentality and that's led to us re-architecting the... Um, the cap table of our business, you know, so we now have 25 people on our cap table. We've sweated in a ton of people. Um, the four of us that call ourselves the founders have kind of reduced ourselves down to 60%. So we've got this incredible galvanized team spirit at a, at a leadership level where everyone's got each other's back and they'll walk over, over coals. And there's been many times where, you know, those leaders around me have had those check-ins of, um, you okay, bro, right? And yeah. having each other's back in a remote environment, and like literally I live in the Bay of Islands, right? So um, I'm four hours away from HQ. So just having those little check-ins and someone ha having your back, you've got to surround yourself with those people. And as soon as it stopped becoming a, what do I want to achieve and what do we want to achieve? Yeah. Oh my God, everything just changed. Everything changed because we were all on the same journey together. I love the fact that you can be in the Bay Islands totally detached from any sort of traffic. You're running a $60 million business, 500 staff, and, and <laughs> it's, this is the world of technology. So finally, last one, um, I've been loving this chat, is someone now is listening to this as an Aotearoa and looking to go local to global. What's the one single thing which you, you would advise them to do before they start this journey? Understand the cultures of where you're moving into. So when we first went into the Australian market, 
Um, I actually spent two weeks uh, flying between Brisbane, uh, Sydney and Melbourne and literally just treading the streets, really trying to understand what was the, the music culture, the cafe culture, right? And you recognise that it wasn't too dissimilar to New Zealand. But what we really quickly saw was that Melbourne was our first path in, into market. We have run into every brick wall when we've gone into the Asian markets. So Southeast Asia has gone from our slowest growing business over three years to the point of where you have that conversation every six months of shall we keep going to now it's just going absolutely bananas and that took cultural reset after cultural reset now going into the u.s market we're having to learn all over again so uh, being willing to be naive understanding that it's all a journey and that we're all learning and that acknowledgement of to activate a new market you've got to return to the roots and we always get too big for our own heads. And you walk in with that massive ego that we know how to do it. We're going to rinse and repeat. We've got the model nailed. And then you get the old Mike Tyson punch in the face when you walk into a, yeah. a New York market and no one gives a toss who you are. Mm. I love it, man. Hey, I really appreciate your time, Todd. Thanks so much for joining. It's um, props and flowers to you, man, for getting taking it from, you know, the, the vision of what you had to something that's literally 10 times bigger and all around and also extra kudos too from really prioritising the people and the community that you talk about not as a company especially with the stuff you did in Ukraine bro so big ups on you massively stoked for you and the successes and, and may it long continue bro from the Bay of Islands to the world good shit my man absolute legend there we go don't forget you can text me to, through on 3920 and the question for today is what is your favourite 0% alcohol product couple of texts come through uh export zero there you go for some of the db mafia and then it says uh water everything else is calories and bubbles or caffeine there you go uh definitely a lot more options that have been you know thrown in the mix in the last couple of years and it's a fast growing market which is super cool after break we're catching up with this week's young buck what is a young buck well you'll find out after the break it is 12 21 p.m his goal to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Welcome back to Rebet Live on Today FM. Live from San Francisco. Find your local frequency at todayfm.co.nz. Most people just have a cell phone, it's in your pocket. Just download the Rover app and you can tune right on in wherever you're at. Uh, Rebet Live, we talk about three things. Commerce, community and culture. With an overarching goal, which is something I am a very strong believer in, New Zealand wins when New Zealanders win. And a big part of that is the up-and-coming young bucks. What is a young buck? It's the new future leaders which are doing great stuff in business that are starting. So right now, we're about to get into it. But this weekend and is the Entrepreneurs in Action, uh, which is 60 of our most motivated students from all around Aotearoa. They form teams to tackle two challenges with young people they've just met. The first challenge in the new business was developed uh, that was set yesterday with students pitching to a panel of judges last night. Our young bucks today are the winners of the first challenge. Let's go. We've got Tom, Eric, Tina, Georgia, Maria and Kylie. It's a, it's a big party going on here. All the students from all corners around the country in Aotearoa focus on a single uh, challenge set by the Ministry for the Environment around the circularity of business in Aotearoa. So, kia ora crew, how are we doing? Yeah, yeah, we're doing good. Yeah, yeah, we're really good. Thank, thank you very much for this uh, opportunity today. Um, yeah, we're, we're really happy to be able to share some of our ideas and how things went yesterday. Very cool. Well, I'll first give you the, the award virtually for the most current people I'm interviewing at one time and one thing, which is amazing. So well done to you. Today you work on your second challenge. You're obviously motivated. You what's going on. Give us the recap of the last 24 hours. What are you doing? How's it going? 
Uh, so basically, it was it was really full on yesterday. We had a fantastic day, um, uh, Eric. So basically, what was kind of our uh, option today? Yeah, so yesterday was jam packed. We had to work on our pitch, our business plan, and get this delivered in a really short time frame. We went in front of the judging panel and the rest of the 54 students, and we presented our pitch, and we were lucky to come out on top. Let's go. Well, you got to get okay. If it's a minute pitch, give me the give me the pitch. What is it? Hit me. So uh, basically, yesterday our idea was called uh, EcoCamp, um, and what EcoCamp is is providing a uh, a platform for people who want who want cheap, accessible holidays. So basically, our idea was we'd um, talk to farmers who have land, and then what we would do is they would like. Um, They'd let people come and, and use their land, and instead of paying in cash, that that was an option, but it would be a bit of a core system. So if the farmer needs some help with, say, lambing or something like that, people could help out. So it was really about getting like a bit of a, a community connection um, and really just making making and connecting with the environment accessible for everyone. That's awesome, man. Okay, so what? So that was yesterday. So you did the pitch. You got up there. You had the panel of, I'm sure, extremely difficult Simon Cow looking judges. So what happens today? What's what's the buzz now? Where do you go to from here? You've got the idea. You've got the team. What's next? So today we're doing the NZT challenge. It's a trade challenge where we're working with a game developer to get a game design on the market. And so we have full of today and a bit of tomorrow to work on this, hand in a business plan, and do another pitch. So we're currently working on a tag game where we'll, we'll be delivering this game to the U.S. market and we have to figure out the cost and all the problems with the game, get everything um, done and put on the market. There you go. All in, all in one day. It sounds like a, a pretty busy day for you. Um, and we didn't actually uh, cover this. Whereabouts is everyone from uh, here all around Aotearoa and what high schools? How old are you guys and girls? G- give, me the, give us the context because it doesn't sound like you're 50. sounds like you guys are some young bucks at some high school doing some good stuff. Give us the, what's the context of these great ideas with where they come from around Aotearoa? Okay, so awesome. So I'm Tina. I go to Fraser High School. I'm a year 13 and I've come up from Hamilton. Um, I'm Kylie. I'm from down south in Dunedin, and I go to Tyree College, and I'm also year 13 as well. Uh, my name is Tom Little. I'm a year 12 uh, high school student at Taradol in the sunny, best region of New Zealand, Hawke's Bay. And yeah, we're stoked <laughs> to be here today. It's awesome. I, I absolutely love it. The, co- the cool thing with the spots like this is you get, you know, this forced creativity that you've got to try and figure out all these commercial challenges in such a short time frame, which is which is super cool. So from here, you're about to, to take it on. What's the what's next steps for the team? What's the, the number one focus on what you're going to do next? Um, so I'm Georgia. I'm from Christchurch, and I go to Rolston College. So what ne- what's next for us is we have to turn in our right up today by 5 p.m. and then we're going to spend a bit of time tonight working on our pitch, get ready to go tomorrow, hoping that we present another bang and speech. <laughs> Even. There you go. So if someone, if there's a bunch of people here that are, who are listening and they want to, you know, either follow along with the journey or they want to maybe send you some advice or try and follow along to support, where can they go to and what can they do? How can they kind of stay in touch with, with all this crew with the good stuff that you guys are doing? 
Oh, yeah, so, yeah, no, that's great. That's a great question. Thank you. So, firstly, we wanted to say a big thank you to the Asia New Zealand Foundation, who are our mentor group today, and the Young Enterprise Scheme. Um, so, basically, for this challenge, we really need as much feedback as possible. So, if um, people are able to, if they can go to the Asia New Zealand Foundation Instagram page, check on their Instagram story, and then follow our link to the Google form. And um, we really just need a bit of um, some uh, survey results. So that would be much appreciated if that's possible. But you can just keep keep updated on the Yes website and Instagram. And just one more introduction. I'm Maria Casano-Lapana. Um, I'm a year, thir- year 12 at Altair College and I run two businesses. One is Pacifica, implementing more Pacifica culture into the education system and the other is Pacifica self-love, which you can check out on Instagram. Oh, I love it. You guys got the sound bites dialed. I appreciate it. Well, I'd heard five voices, but I knew there were six. I was expecting you to come out of the woodwork, so it's, it's very cool. So that is the Asia, is it the Asia New Zealand Foundation on Instagram? Is that where they can go? Yep, that's the one. Awesome. Hey, well, best of luck today, team. I'm super excited with to see how it goes. Tag me in a post with, with how it goes. I can sort of check it out and um, more than happy to support it and promote it along. So best of luck to all of you. Absolutely awesome. Well done and, and go kick some ass today. Good work, team. Thank you. And just thank, thank you. Thank you. Gang, gang, just like that. Man, I love talking to young bucks. It's the flipping best, man. Like just young, getting at it, like Obviously, they don't have, you know, like young toddlers running around yet. They're not sleep deprived. They're not just being burnt out by the, the worries and the pressures of, of adulthood. It's amazing. It's awesome. It always gets me energized. And it's super cool that, you know, these young, awesome Kiwis are doing great things and following along. So big ups to all your crew. So if um, they want some feedback, go to the Asian New Zealand Foundation uh, Instagram account and click it through. One uh, little quick tip for you, Groms, if you're still listening. You've created like three places for them to go to. You should have just done like taken the, the Google form link, go to like clickem.ly or bit.ly and then make it like support us young bucks, whatever it is, and do like a secret little code thing. We'd be a bit quicker. Good on you guys. Uh, coming up after the break, we've got business in a minute tip for you before today our time with Karepi McDonald. Time now is 12.31 p.m. How good? Mentor. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. I still can't believe they swear in the lead-in. How unprofessional, guys. I can't believe it. You just set the bar like that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you tuned into to Rebet Live, episode 317 on Today FM. Hope Saturday is rolling. It's time now for business in a minute. Get your business better in 60 seconds. All right. Most people don't start. The first thing here is, team, just start. If you've got an idea for something, it doesn't have to be perfect right away. Start anyway. If you always wait for it to be perfect, it's like that thing when they talk about having, if they waited for the engineers, no car would ever go out of the lot. It's so true, because as soon as there's one little hurdle block, everyone uses those things as handbrakes. They don't, they go on defense, they don't go on offense, you know. You don't need to have the perfect logo, you don't need to have the perfect website, you don't need to have everything, you can just start and go. The way I think about it is each little micro move that you make in the in the way of positivity, those things extrapolate over time, each little bit each day. Cool, you don't have, you know, a million dollars for your startup? Cool. Well, you can spend an hour or two at night and go smack out a PDF. Do something. You can always do something. Sin back is defense. you got to push through and go on, um, go on offense. So just start. doesn't have to be perfect right away. Just start. Try it. Do it. Timing is never perfect. Timing is never, never perfect. And that is how to get more out of business or even start a business. you got to get up and go. It's 12.36 p.m.
Learning Tereo, one phrase at a time. Rebets Tereo on Rebet Live. One of the greatest, just bangers of all time. Poor yeah. It's time now for Tereo time. As we do each week, we catch up with the bro Karepe McDonald for a Kiwaha o Te Wiki, which, or phrase of the week. Kia ora, my bro. How are you? Kete pehi a koe. Kete pai, my friend. Where are you? How's the East Coast rolling? You keep keeping it real on, on, on the shores? It's a fine winter's day here on the East Coast. Beautiful blue skies and, and a bit more warmer than usual. Hoia no koto tata ne ki waha o te wiki nei. Ah, ko ngutu huia. So we all know, uh, we probably all know someone who's a bit of a know-it-all. Ka pai. And ngutu huia is the phrase that would describe them. Uh, ngutu meaning lips. And huia, well, that's uh, one of our native birds. Unfortunately, is extinct these days. It's on the uh, $100 bill. Uh, and apparently they used to sing a lot, so they like to sing their own phrases. They like to, um, you know, be that know-it-all in, in the whānau. So, ngutu huia, a bit of a know-it-all. Ka pai e hoa. So, koina te tō tātou ki waha o te wiki nei. So, is it... Huia. Is it ngutu huia or ku ngutu huia? Or ngutu huia? Ngutu... Just like that. Uh, awesome, bro. I really, really appreciate you jumping in, and I hope the rest of your uh, the weekend goes well, my bro, cruising on the East Coast, my man. There you go. It's a, that's your Tadero time for this week from Karepe McDonald from the team at Culture Flow. Super cool each week you can jump in. Just, so there you go. Uh, there's a story from the Anzacs back in uh, World War II days where um, Americans, if you came up through the ramp, they would be called Seppos. And Seppos was because when they'd be hanging out and, and talking, well, the Americans would be, uh, Seppos are short for septic tanks. What were septic tanks? Well, they're full of certain things. So they call them Seppos. That's where it came from. So if you grew up in the, in the vine for Americans, uh, that's one, another one there. So they, I, I'm sure that they would say there was Nutuhuya right there. Uh, that's your tarot time. It is 12.38 p.m. Bet live on today FM. Time for my three cents. As my life has you know, progressed and shifted more, as I learn more things about myself and others, I thought it'd just be interesting to stop and reflect for a little second. Um, I've released a little uh, episode on Spotify of my journey through snowboarding, and it really made me truly realise how much of a crazy world we live in. And uh, also what you can create when you really set your mind to things and get laser focus on execution. Um, within the snowboard game, you know, I wasn't really the best. I wasn't the craziest. I just played the game really strategic and super, um, with, you know, fun, joy and humour. But what I've realised after looking back at the journey is that um, for me, it was always about the constant momentum to try and create and to build and move forward, moving forward for myself, moving forward for others. And what I've realised is that for these years, I've constantly done the same thing where I try to create these vehicles of connection and opportunity for others, you know, to be able to bring profile and bring people together and then let all those inter interactions become genuine relationships so it's crossover and connect into life and business and and everything down the line what i've realized the older i get is that i'm essentially just you know i'm a massive just cheerleader <laughs> for others on their own journey and a cheerleader for new zealand new zealand businesses because i just want new zealand to, to win and i have that saying new zealand wins when new zealanders win um and for me i kind of help enable it through connection which i love you know when people ask me 
where I'm from or what I do. It's definitely a loaded question because I've just lived in so many bubbles, right? Some people go through their high school, they go to university, get a job, and they work their way up the food chain, and then they find their career and they can just define their life in a single world. But, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I've never been able to do that. You know, I grew up on a farm in Dargaville, then Fiji, then Aranui Christchurch, then then Wanaka for snowboarding, then travel the world snowboarding, and then business in Auckland, and now doing stuff back and forth from the States for the last 20 years, you know? And a lot of people, they move on from where they're from and they kind of dismiss their past to the backs of their minds with where they come from and almost like a bit of shame from what they actually used to do. You know, like I'm, I've never been that way. I'm super proud of my journey where I'm come from. You know, one of my first jobs, I was a, I was a, a sandwich artist at Subway. I've swept floors. I've done paper runs. I've done I've all, all sorts of things. I've always been really proud of these things. Um, and I don't feel like I've ever left anyone behind. I feel like I've bring them with me. You know, the, um, the journey that I went through with all the ups and downs where, you know, you, you fail a lot and you learn a lot and the whole thing is to keep moving forward um, to the chaotic pie that exists today. So, you know, I never look at the past with sadness or disappointment. I look at the past as bubbles or these chapters which has led me to where I am now in the kind of crazy world that I live in. You know, I still, I still can't fully describe what I do to anyone because I do lots of various things. Um, but I d- love the idea where I'm in a spot where I can feel like I've, I I have a platform. Like with Today FM, with all I do, we have a platform to influence for good, f- for positivity for others, which means a lot to me. That really is important. And so I think when you've got a platform that's been able to um, help a wide variety of people and all over, it's pretty important. Um, this is something that's definitely important to me. And so as I, as I write this down, I've just been trying to get stuff off my chest and this was something that I, that I put through. I think about these breadcrumbs of positivity that we talk about to help each other, like how you can have these little statements and stuff to support people, these little ideas that give them positivity to think about things a bit braver, you know? And, you know, I, I may have failed high school and I'm not that book smart, but I really enjoy these moments where I can create these memories with these great people all over the spot and, and I have a fair exchange with these people too. But as I get older, I also, also realise that the way I've done things with my moral and ethical compass that keeps standing for others, it does come at a cost. And I've realized that if you have a platform without purpose, it is truly pointless. If you have a platform without purpose, it is truly uh, pointless. And so I've realized that you've got to be able to use your influence for good and your power to help others. And sometimes I just can't fend for the others that can't fend for themselves and more. So I just feel very strongly about a lot of these things. And I feel that it's important to be able to have people's back, do good things, full stop. For me, it comes down to three things. I want to create things that I'm proud of, scale value to empower others, and enjoy the ride. And that, my friends, is my three cents for the day. Because if you care, and you can, you should. Shout out to everyone that's helped me on my journey. It's been a good little ride, and I just want to get it off my chest for today. Any feedback, love to hear from you. Text me through on 3920 or the number to call through to say what up. It's 0800 Today FM. After break, it's Learn, Share, Repeat. What is that? Well... It's when we figure out what the best podcasts, what the best books, what is bubbling away and what people are learning from the most. And we're going to be joined, very lucky, by Julie Jones from NZX. Right around the corner, time now is 12.43pm. Rebet Live. Live from Silicon Valley. The hub of the tech universe. With tips on unleashing your entrepreneurial potential. On Today FM. Welcome back to Rebet Live on Today FM. You can find us more online at todayfm.co.nz or follow us on the socials, the Facebook, Instagrams, the Twitter, and if you're young, the TikToks, the Tiki Talkies, you can uh, search for Today FM New Zealand. If you want to get in touch with me for any feedback or questions, text through on 3920. 
Now it's time for Learn, Share, Repeat. And this year we're chatting with Julia Jones, the head of Insight at NZX, which is New Zealand's exchange. In her role, she provides insights and foresights to support businesses, our communities, ultimately, Aotearoa, to keep progressing. And she's coming all the way, all the way to us today from Eureka in the Waikato, keeping it rural. I love it. Kia ora, Julia. How are you? Kia ora, kia ora. Welcome to Eureka by voice anyway. There you go. We're going virtual straight off the bat. How is, how is um, the Waikato massive this, this Saturday cruising? Tell me what, what's popping down there? Uh, yeah, well, not much here. Just hanging out with my animals, really. But um, beautiful weather. Beautiful and sunny. Got a good vibe. We haven't got fog. It's a good day. So for those that aren't aware too much of what NZX is or how it rolls and you're a bit within it, give us the 101. Look, ultimately, we help businesses connect with capital. So, and we, you know, if people want to grow and do really cool things, we, I heard your cool young bucks before talking about what they wanted to do. You know, everything costs money. So if you're going to be trying to establish a new business, we help people who are trying to create growth within an existing business or with a new business find the person that wants to invest capital in them. So that's pretty much the main thing that we do, and we're really proud of it, and we keep a really well-operating market, and we've got a lot of very passionate people in our organisation that love capital markets. There you go. I and what is super Which cool sounds a bit one? geeky, doesn't it? No, no, everyone... <laughs> No, it's awesome because everyone's got ideas and everyone's got businesses that they're running. And when they do, everyone wants more capital so they can grow. So when you're enabling that, yeah. it's actually an amazing good thing. So, hey, Julia, you don't need to feel bad about doing great stuff, helping build businesses in New Zealand. That's awesome. The bigger, you know, sometimes I think mentally people can think, you know, this business thing is, you know, bad to try and make it bigger. It's like, dude, the bigger a business gets, the more people you can hire, the more you can put in R&D, the more bonuses yeah. you can give people, the more, um, you know, support you can give them and their families and whatever. And I think just, you know, uh, it's not that greed is good. It's just like, hey, businesses can help so many others. And when you can support, you know, families and organisations and, and, and communities, that's a good thing. So, hey, you don't need to apologise or say anything about anything. You do you. It's awesome. And I have the well coolest done. bit. I have the coolest <laughs> job there because I get to think about the future. So I get to think yes. about what might be next. And that's the most which exciting is, part. <laughs> which is exactly part of the thing with Learn, Share, Repeat, where, you know, each week we talk to different people around what are their best podcasts to learn to, what are their best books, where are you learning from right now? So without further ado, for this week's Learn, Share, Repeat, Miss Julia Jones, uh, what do you? what is your current best podcast or your current best book? What are you consuming right now that's making you learn? Well, um, this is a funny one. So I tend to sort of have, I like audio books, so I sort of do three at a time. So I've got um, The Attributes, which is by Rich Deviney, who is a Navy SEAL out of the US. He's really cool. I got a chance to talk to him last year, and he talks about, you know, skills are great, but when you come across a situation that is different to what you're used to, a skill doesn't come in handy anymore. So, you know, mm. if you can drive a car, that's great. It doesn't mean you can drive a tractor. So it's about the attributes that you need to actually be able to overcome things and learn new skills. Um the Leading Edge by Holly Ransom. She's an amazing woman out of Australia. I actually got to speak on a panel with her many years ago, and you should never Google people you're speaking on a panel with because I got just <laughs> completely starstruck by her. And I was just, I honestly, I, could, I was like, oh, and I could talk Lego for Donkey, but um, I was just out of words because she was so cool. So it was, I love her book. And my favourite book of all times is How the Mighty Fall by Jim Collins. And I'd, Ooh, I'd kind of go on. Three, yeah, yeah. So this is like, you know, because he's a good to great guy. And so even in the beginning of his book, he says, oh, I felt awkward writing this because it's about positivity. But what he's sort of saying is, you know, he's got these really cool five stages of decline. And I think every business should go through it. Because we all go through these stages of thinking, you know, that our pop doesn't smell and we're really awesome. And, 
and then we just want more and more and more and more and more, and then we sort of get in denial that, you know, we're so cool, we're never going to go under, and then we sort of get to that bit where we grasp for salvation and we bring in, like, some Flash Harry to hope he'll save it, and then, you know, the last bit's basically, you're irrelevant. And I, I sort of think every business, every every human should probably read this book just because it gives you that insight into just because things are good today doesn't mean they'll be good tomorrow. We should never actually, we should be positive, but we should be positively focusing on what we can change to make sure we maintain relevance for the future. And I, I do worry at the moment that we are, so much going on in the world that we've become a little bit disabled um, in the sense that we're not enabling ourselves to move forward and take risks anymore. And, and, and look, you're, mm. you're the greatest one of this. We've got tall poppy, so you're a dick if you succeed in New Zealand and you're a dick if you fail. So what does mm. that do? It pushes us all into the middle, so nobody really gives anything a good nudge. Um, but, but this book is just, it just, and it's cool, and he's got a positive vibe to it, and it just, you know, he talks about Nokia and, and all these moments through time, uh, but he does it in a way that you can learn and avoid being that next business or being that next person. And even personally, you know, we've always got to change. I, the skills I had when I was a currency dealer are completely different to the skills I require now. Mm. So you've got the attributes from Richard Boney, you've got the leading edge and then how the, how the mighty falls from Jim, Jim Collins from good to great. So that last one, is it kind of driven around this, this concept of self-awareness for like either founders or business owners or people within it? Is it, is it like a uncomfortable mirror to themselves to actually to see the business landscape a bit differently? Is that kind of the thing, yeah, like a block, yeah. blockbuster effect type thing? Yeah, it is, it is. But, I mean, again, you have to have real self-awareness. You know, you'd actually have to still be honest with yourself. And sometimes it's asking yourself the really awkward and just, just really uncomfortable questions are the mm. things that take you the furthest. And with this book, you know, you go through it. And, look, God, I'd never call anyone out. But, you know, I could... Um, you know, I could, I was like, oh, wow, that would, I can imagine this company in here. And, I, and, I, and you know, there's probably been a number of companies who've been through it. Leadership has changed. Leadership has become more open and honest, and they've moved through it and to, to a positive space. So it's, it's definitely a reflection book. And I think, you know, if every book, every person who had a business, a startup or not, and I think startups are cool, right, because you get this real energy and you're alive and you're just, you're just invigorated and persistent. But then when you get to the next stage of your business, where you kind of have, I guess, the ego kicks in a little bit, you know that you're awesome, you've got to that next stage. You, what you want to make sure is that you never lose that startup mindset. The most powerful yeah. thing for every business in New Zealand right now is to imagine you're a startup every day because let's face it, any one of us could be at any moment. Nothing's, nothing's mm. set in concrete for the future. The point before, uh, Julie, talking about the, the, the tall boy thing, you're totally right. You know, you, if you... Um, if you fail, it sucks, and if you if you stand up too good, it sucks. It's the same thing. But you know, I, I was talking with someone the other day around you know Peter Beck in New Zealand. He's seen as such a crazy outlier, and oh my gosh, this crazy blah blah blah. Like if he's in California, he's just another entrepreneur doing space tech, and he's doing great <laughs> yeah. stuff. But he's like one of us. He's not the odd one out. And it's weird how the minority that are kind of ostracized as this alien creature to the side in Aotearoa. And, and the States is just, oh, no, he's just doing that thing. And there's, there's definitely, like, this mental barrier around how they perceive these people that go and create and, and do things, you know. But I was going to ask before, Julie, before we bow, you were talking about just before, you know, the self-awareness piece, and you said the, ask yourself these uncomfortable questions. Like, what do you think is one uncomfortable question that people should ask themselves in order to be able to grow? Are the people around me telling me what I want to hear or do I need to find people that tell me what I need to hear? 
Mm. We're all in eco, we're in eco chambers, and I think if we were really honest, and I've actually been asking myself this a lot because I rant on about it all the time, and I've started thinking lately: Am I actually around people who? Am I starting to get a bit pitchy because I'm around people who are challenging me? Or am I, you know, am I looking for people that I only want to tell me good things from? And I think we've got to ask ourselves, are the people around us, and I'm not saying get rid of them, but, uh, you know, are the people around me, have I surrounded myself with people who tell me what I want to hear or do I need to find some people that make me uncomfortable? Because if you're not uncomfortable, you're not moving. And that's a very dangerous spot too because if you get the wrong people in that and if they're telling you what you think you want to hear or if it's, it's negative, you might be listening to that as if it's gospel when you actually you need positivity around you, not negativity, right? So there's that saying from Big Sean, I, I've talked about it a, a few times, it's, you know, I've got people that are in my circle but they're not in my corner, you know? Yeah. They're there but they're not actually having your back like they actually should, which I think is um, really something that... Yeah, yeah, and if people challenge you, right, you don't have to go and do what they say, but I mean, even people who have said really wacky things, and to be fair, it's usually me, because I'm kind of the weird outlier, <laughs> but uh, I am definitely the weirdo. I feel so sorry for every organisation that hires me. Um, and, and um, But, you know, often what you find is those people that say the wacky things, if you can't go away and process that and think how that might work, then you're just literally locking yourself into the status quo. And that is how we'll get great decline of our businesses, not change. You know, it's it's exciting. The future's higgledy-piggledy. It's insane. You know, everything is broken and everything is awesome. And I think it's now is the time for New Zealand businesses and New Zealand business leaders, more importantly, which is a massive privilege if you're a business leader, to actually step up and be brave and not just hang out with the guys that you worked with in 1980. Like, why don't you go find some different people in a different organisation and actually find out what the... Uh, what, what's happening? I think that's a beautiful thing on the tech sector. Is by nature you kind of get forced into talking to different businesses, don't you? Yeah. Well, also I think within the the, the tech space, you you speak the same language of technology, but you're in these different worlds which you. Yeah, may not understand, but you have respect for. So, I, but I think over time, as your your perspective actually widens, and you you've got more, I guess you've got a little bit more substance to your opinions when you you understand a little bit about blockchain over here or digitization over here or yep. um you know AI here or whatever it may be. I think the skill set to be able to you know talk across borders globally with it is definitely a different thing. So you yep. mentioned one thing before about these brave leaders, and I want want to ask you this, Julia, if you were could wave the, the the magic Waikato Julie Jones sprinkle dust all over Aotearoa for our business leaders. What would you try and get them all to start doing to make New Zealand better tomorrow? Oh, that's a good and hard question. I guess just start being honest with each other and honest with ourselves and actually wearing and being open about some of the things that don't work in our businesses. I think what's mm. happened is we've kind of got... So I do a little bit of work in ESG, which is Environment Social Governance at, at NZX, and I laugh because I look at some of the businesses, and this is not a criticism, but we're really good at marketing stuff, but are we actually good at being transparent and honest? And, and please don't take that to meaning I think people are disingenuous or anything like that. I just think that's the community that we've developed in our business sense that... I mean, read our bios. My bio doesn't say that I sit on the couch sometimes exhausted eating baked beans out of a tin. My bio says that I went and did a course at Harvard and Stanford. You know, like, it's, I think we just we just show too much of the good stuff. I think we're living, we're living a Facebook page or we're living an Instagram page, and I think we need to just have some more honesty with our leaders and, and, and just start listening to the young bucks coming up. Like, actually, every leadership group should have, like, a little committee of 20-something-year-olds that they listen to. Again, you don't necessarily have to change your business, but start listening and actually start 
you know, when did the business leaders in New Zealand last get off their backside and go do something cool for themselves and change their mindset? I love it. And just like that, Julia Jones coming through with the fire on a Saturday from the Waikato, keeping it rural. I love it from Eureka. Uh, thanks so much for joining us through. Uh, great little things there. So the three things were the attributes by Rich Deboni, the leading edge, and how the mighty falls. Those are the three. Go check it out. Big thanks to Julia Jones. Coming up on the corner. See you in the new hour. It's news time. Giddy up. His goal. To destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. And it's hour number two. Rebet Live episode 317. It is 1.03pm in Aotearoa, New Zealand. 6.03pm here here in Silicon Valley, San Francisco. Uh, coming up on the show in this hour... We're going to be catching up with uh, Simran Kaur, one half of the globally recognised podcast, Weapons, Girls That Invest. Uh, Mel Golan is also going to be joining us for our Tall Poppy profile. She's the founder and CEO of Ripper. Her passion is innovation and designing technology that transform businesses, and she is on fire. Plus, we've got the uh, Chief Economist for the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, Paul Conway. Had some big speeches this week. We're going to get him back in the mix. And uh, our banter with Bruce, Bruce Pelbera, the CEO of Spirit of Adventure, who each week gives us some golden nuggets of how to think about life just a little bit differently. You can text me through any uh, comments or concerns or questions or or props or dabs or birthday shout-outs, whatever you'd like, 3920. Uh, first one through, I'll feel free to read on, yeah, as long as you're not, you know, abusing myself or Bruno. We'll, we'll probably say it. It doesn't matter. You can get, get in there. Uh, or the number to call um, if you'd like to verbally um, harass or even ask a question or tell a little story is 0800-TODAY-FM. The time now is 1.04pm. Rebet Live. Hey, I love being able to just pick my own tracks. It's just so good. Just gets me in the vibe on a Saturday. Uh, best friends Simran Kaur and Sonia Gupthin are two millennial investors who are on a mission to make the world of investing less intimidating for women. They are sick of investing into overcomplicated and gatekept from women and minorities. Hell yeah. Their award-winning podcast, Girls That Invest, quickly became the world's number one investing podcast for women. How good. They wanted to learn stuff about investing. So without further ado, Simran joins me now. Kia ora, how are you? Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, so awesome. Well, first up, congratulations on what you've created. Congratulations on the epic momentum that you've been able to build. And now you've got, you know, the 60,000 strong Instagram following across all this, you know, investment and education and stuff. It's, it's, it's awesome and well done. So for starters, good on you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. So... Investing is obviously a pretty powerful tool when it comes to, you know, generating wealth and all that, Um, but it seems very inaccessible for so many for so long. So talk me through the inception of this this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as you mentioned, it comes to no surprise that for a lot of people, especially women, especially minorities, we never really grew up seeing investing as something that was for us, the kind of, you know, thought, You'll do it when you're wealthy or you do it when you have a big house and a boat and that's when the investing stuff comes. Um, And so we kind of wanted to challenge that and say, well, hey, look, you know, everyday people can be investors. You're called retail investors. There's a name for it. Um, And it's not as inaccessible as it used to be. So let's just break down those terminologies that might be stopping people and let them kind of, you know, find their own confidence to get into it. Well, a lot of the time as well, people get intimidated of things they don't understand and usually you know there's a whole bunch of these alpha men who just run through and do stuff even they don't understand it but you know i was i got a 
little stat here that Bryn's pulled up for me. It says only 16 to 24% of women invest globally and even less so of, for women of colour. Now, obviously, this has been a bit of a strong driver for you. So talk me about, around the dynamics of of going into this niche to really try and unlock that, which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the stat is really, really horrific, the idea that, you know, something that should be accessible to everyone everywhere is for some reason not reaching as many people as it should and um, I think you know growing up in my experience and Sonia's experience we're both South Asian um, and so we never grew up seeing what an investor could look like that related to us you know it was a person in a suit they looked very powerful and very intimidating and I think just breaking even that aspect of it down and saying, hey, look, you can just be a normal person and have an investing portfolio. It's not like Wolf of Wall Street. It's a lot less complicated. And um, I think just has resonated with a lot of people. And that's what we're trying to do, just breaking down the image of what an investor looks like. So that comes down to mindset with how they think about either themselves or the ecosystem. So what do you feel is the biggest, I guess, mental handbrake that's stopping, I guess, women and minorities women of colour actually stepping into the plate of, I guess, getting a bit more braver to take on this world of investment, which can be, I guess, so intimidating for so many. It's interesting that you say that because a lot of what we talk about on the podcast is actually mindset related and it's a lot to do with unlearning rather than learning. You know, we have a lot of people saying, how do I start? And we go, look, there's a few things that you might have thought about that you need to break down and one of the biggest ones is the idea that money is evil and that it's wrong to want to even think about it or talk about it um, I think it's just you know the Kiwi way that we grow up we, we want to be humble we don't want to ask people what do you make how do you get started but you know money is a tool rather than something that inherently makes you bad and you can use it as a tool for good and you know therefore investing isn't this horrible thing that you you know you shouldn't be a part of I like that idea about unlearning, right? You go into it. Now, I've got another little fact here. It's like all these facts with the Google machine that Bryn's pulled up. Saying 95% of money media articles direct women to save, while 70% direct men to invest. It sounds a bit sexist, eh? Is that a bit whack? <laughs> that feels whack. <laughs> What's going on there? It is pretty crazy. So that, that was a study done in the UK, and it was so interesting to see that, you know, subtle messages over time, whether it be magazines or articles, would say, you know, woman, you should save $10 on a grocery bill here, or you should try and, you know, save in the kitchen here. And then you'd look at the same articles directed at men. And it's, you know, how do you use crypto? What's what is Elon Musk saying about NFTs? And, you know, one article is not going to cause damage, but over time you start to realise that people start to fit themselves into those categories and go, oh, I'm just bad with money, I'm just not good with numbers, as opposed to, hey, maybe I've just kind of been taught to think that I'm not good at this skill. Yeah, that mindset thing is so... You know, like for myself, I, I grew up, um, my dad passed when I was young and I had an older sister, younger sister and mum and then my wife is one of three s sisters and then I've got two daughters. So I'm very, and they're three and four now, so I'm starting to understand like the mindset of words that are said with what type of things they put in th their heads of expectations or whatever and also this idea of kind of breadcrumbs of, as you are saying, they, they learn these behaviours through things that constantly get done. How do you think that this this mindset changes faster in Aotearoa for either women or minorities or whatever when it comes to, you know, the mindset or whatever? Like, how do we how do we crank this thing up to get better faster, you think? 
I think one of the biggest things is representation and having more people that look like you in those places. As soon as you see, you know, if, if you're a young person or a person of colour, if you see someone that looks like you investing in those spaces, talking about wealth and, you know, kind of living their best life, so to speak, you're more likely to go, oh, wait, well, if they can do it, maybe I can do it. And I think just having more of that is going to make a huge difference to the mindset because you're suddenly seeing a destination you never even thought you could walk down yeah so when people um you know you you obviously got a big community you're empowering a whole bunch of them which is which is awesome how do you if someone's just trying to get into investing and they're listening right now and they're going okay i need to, you know i'm going to get in there i've got you know a few bucks saved aside i'm not going to wait till i've got the, the batch the beamer and the bentley with my three b's to then start getting into it what are the typical first steps you try and tell people to do when they want to try and engage more in this world of investing at a younger age? The first thing um, I think people get a little bit stuck on and that's probably why they don't get started. A lot of people think, you know, what company should I jump in or how do you choose the best fund? And it's actually nothing to do with that. It's about deciding what your goal is. If you know what you're investing for, whether it be, you know, a home deposit in five years or your child's university fees or even your own retirement if you have a timeline that's going to then let you work backwards to choose what kind of investments or funds would suit that time frame you know something that's going to be longer you might be okay with something more risky first if you're investing for five years you probably don't want to be buying you know some tesla shares that go up and down very quickly so it's mm. really just working out what you're after and then working backwards from there now, obviously, you can't give financial adv advice on this, but, you know, if someone's listening now, they've got a couple of Gs or five, ten grand, whatever the number may be, what are the first steps you think they should do if they want to engage and actually look to try and do something in the ecosystem? I think the biggest thing would be just getting the vocabulary under your belt. You know, even if you just read a blog on the top 10 terms you need to know about investing or, or listening to our podcast where we break that down as well, wherever you find your information if you just know the terminology you're going to be able to start reading a lot more reading financial reports reading the news and going oh okay that makes sense and from just from there things just start to get a lot easier it's you know knowledge is power with these kind of things well it's that thing of like it's this language of money right like you come in the in the snowboard world and everyone's talking about you know switch back 12 this double cork that front nose press all these kind of random words and you're like what does that all mean but then when you're in it you you're talking about it and and I got you know I didn't uh, I failed high school and I kind of failed maths and and all that and I I for a long time I was very kind of intimidated and threatened that I didn't understand a lot of the things that they were talking about of like oh see how this and third quarter that and shares dividends and investments blah blah it becomes it, it, these new words are kind of scary but they, I think the great part now is you know you've got the YouTubes there you've got these you know obviously there's an award-winning podcast called Girls Invest which you can potentially check out um, but you know like I think you are right the language of, of money and kind of demystifying and, and also just maybe normalizing it so the words aren't scary because sometimes when I guess people get scared with it they put on, on on breaks right so I can kind of see how you really trying to ta almost attack and unlearn with the mindset right yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember once we were hosting a seminar um, and it was with like a, a sports team. And so these were you know, professional athletes that are so intelligent, so great at their game. And Sonia said, um, you know, she checks her investments every quarter and someone put their hand up and said, what does every quarter mean? Or like, what's a financial mm -hmm. quarter? And it's just that reminder of, look, 
not everyone grows up with these terms. Not everyone has the privilege of having, you know, financially illiterate parents or schools that, you know, have the time to even break that down. Um, so it's just about being brave enough to say, hey, I don't know what that means. Do you mind just breaking that down for me? Yep. A lot of times um, this, the, the brave one in the room asks the simple question, if they, especially if they don't understand something. But you're asking about the quarter. I got told there was this... Uh, this All Black, after he first got into, uh, you know, he grew up on kind of, you know, some hood stuff and he finally got into the All Blacks and they went out for this big fancy dinner and they'll go around and they said, oh, what to, how would you like your steak? And the guy's like, oh, medium. How would you like your steak? Medium. And they get to him, how would you like your steak? And he goes, uh, large. <laughs> and, and it was this thing of like, but to that point is if you haven't experienced these worlds before to know all these different things and, you know, like it, there's all these uh, social norms which can get intimidating. So I think it's amazing that you sort of break that down. So where to from here before we leave for um, for Girls That Invest? You're going to do a summer? You're doing like, or like you're going to, like how does this blow up? What's the dream vision for this thing and how can we help you get there? Uh, well, the next step is our book is coming out. So it's, it's the pre-sales are open on Whitcalls, Paper Plus, wherever you get books from. Um, and it's already on the bestsellers wall in Canada, which blows our mind because it hasn't come out yet physically. So, yeah, if, you, if you're interested in learning more, if you've got a sister, a daughter, or even a son that's interested in investing, you know, grab the book. It's a real beginner's guide. I love it. Where can, what's the website? You've got to get your plug in there. You've got to get in there, someone. <laughs> girlsatinvest.com you can check out the book from there super cool hey really appreciate it thanks for joining and, and props again as well you got the award on your podcast helping this sort of community of crew and, and I think it's um amazing what you're doing so well done to you and, and I hope it all goes awesome for the future alright thank you so much for having me appreciate your time there you go how good's that Super cool. I think the, the idea about unlearning these things, which are either, you know, these preconceived things, I think it pisses me off when I think about 95% of money that's money media articles tell women to save and 70% tell men to invest. It's like, man, we've got a long way to come for this whole marketing and advertising world, especially when it comes to male versus female. So I'm extremely stoked that people like this are doing good things, helping others with it. So well done. And, that, and to already have a bestseller, out and it's not even out yet. How good's that? Uh, Girlsthatinvest.com. So big ups and props to Simran Core that's um, doing great things there. Uh, after the break, we're speaking with another female weapon. Mel Golan is joining us. She is the CEO of Ripper, who's about to turn the financial worlds right on its head. It's going to be our tall poppy profile. Profile on Awesome Kiwi's doing great. We're going to be talking tech and money and all sorts. The time now, 1.16 p.m. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebet Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands, everybody hands go up. And they stay there as we support more Kiwis doing good stuff. It's Tall Poppy Profile. Welcome back to Rebet Live, episode 317. This week on a Tall Poppy Profile, we are joined by Mel Golan from Ripper. She's the founder and CEO who passion lies in innovating to defy all odds, designing technology that transform businesses, a descendant of the New Zealand Māori chief. Oh, epic. She's a natural self-starter and born leader. And also, I think she's on holiday because she's currently in Rarotonga. Mel, are you there? How good is your life? What are you doing? Um, I'm just waiting to actually get on the plane to fly back to New Zealand. So, um, yes, I've been on holiday for a few days. But as you know, no rest to the wicked, and it's time to get back to business. 
Okay, so for those that are unaware, what is Ripper and how did this begin? Um, Ripper is an intelligent automation platform and really what it's designed to do is to take all of the work out of the hands of our customers when it comes to business compliance. So when you buy something on behalf of business or government, that then triggers an entire huge painful process of collecting information, data processing, double checking, all of that kind of stuff. And really it came about when I was on the floor of my lounge year two and I started a consultancy business surrounded by receipts and bank statements and invoices and thought, yeah, now I had enough of this, so how are we going to reverse engineer the whole thing so I never have to touch another piece of paper again? And that's kind of where it all started. So you're in the startup world, you're in the founder world. I was going to ask, as a founder right now in 2022 in Aotearoa, New Zealand, in this tech space, what is the biggest issue you're having right now or the biggest opportunity? Um, the biggest opportunity is we are leading the world in intelligent automation when it comes to payments and procurement data. Um, there's no question about that. So the, the best thing about being down in the bottom of the world is that you can build something as disruptive and groundbreaking as this quite quietly. Um, and the biggest challenge is that we're at the bottom of the world. And when it comes to um, founders like me who have got massive global um, aspirations and a real burn to deliver that, it, it's actually not that common. So mm. we're really good at building technology. We're not great at selling it. And I was recently at the Prime Minister's breakfast in Singapore um, and everybody's talking about how similar our two islands are. Yes, we're small. Yes, we've all got about 5 million people. But the major difference between New Zealand and Singapore is that New Zealand sits at number 49 on the complexity export index, which is produced by Harvard every year, and we sit alongside Trinidad and Tobago and Panama, and Singapore is number five. So, mm. you know, my eyes are firmly focused on how do we elevate our country, how do we actually start moving and being a lot more aggressive in the global marketplace. All right, so you've got 49 on the complexity report, Singapore's at five. If you had the magic sprinkled yeah. us right now to elevate Aotearoa New Zealand in this in this ecosystem, what would you do specifically? Um, I'd well, funding's a huge issue here. Um, if you're building big global hairy enterprise type products, it's not something that our country, the investment community, are, are used to looking at. But I think we've got a get out of our own way. New Zealanders love to cling to this term humble. You've got to be humble. Yep, great. We all are personally, but let's not be humble about our companies. Let's not be humble about our technology. You know, we, we, we've got to fight. No one's going to give you this for free. It's never going to be easy, but allow ourselves get out of our own way and stop clinging to these old sort of this old thinking around, hey, I want to be number one. You know, mm. I want to build a $100 billion business and I'm not going to apologise for that. And so you should not, Mel, 100%. I think your point before is, you know, we, we New Zealand is great at creativity, but we're just, it feels like we're horrendous at commercialising a lot of it when they're going from local to global to try and take on these bigger markets because when you start talking in a few more zeros than just, you know, a couple of million, people get pretty defensive pretty quick because they're not really on offence for it. So how do you, what's your mindset when you think about trying to take on a global market and essentially a, a trillion dollar marketplace, which is finance? How do you take on the global market? Well, it's not the market I'm taking on, it's the customer's problems. 
that's number one. So we're, I'm very much a sales-focused founder, which is super unusual. My background is sales marketing. So we've got a real customer-led strategy. We're not going to rock up to some country and open the doors and expect everybody to come to us. We, we, we're leading with, with, a, with a client in that country, and then we're wrapping the appropriate support and execution around it um, to actually make that happen. So I, I'm very much focused on one country at a time, but I've got a globalisation strategy and it's customer-led. Um, and especially with what's happening now in terms of the economic outcome for countries for the next three to five years, it, it's you know it's going to be tough. So that was part of the strategy of our business, go after a really big, sticky customer who wants to reduce risk and eliminate cost, well, governments do. So that's where we've started our journey and we've been quite considered with our globalisation strategy around who our customers are, how we're going to execute and when we're going to go there. I was going to ask exactly to that, Mel, is when you've got, when you're a startup and there's only a limited amount of time, you don't have hundreds of staff that can do everything at the same, how have you prioritised your time to think about these different pieces? Has there been a, a way that you think about opportunities and prioritization with where you allocate your resources just in terms of of that how do you think about that um yeah allocate resources that's that's funny <laughs> um everybody I mean, time, in the company time. does three jobs <laughs> <laughs> well it's firstly it's capital raising that's one big part of my job the second thing is the globalization strategy and the third thing is putting the people around it that can help me deliver it so mm. that's kind of the way i've prioritized the business um and also you know who are the customers and go after the same customers in each market if you can that just makes the whole journey a lot more efficient um but look, it's, you know, you know what it's like. Founders are awake at two o'clock in the morning. That's not unusual. And uh, it's just never far from your mind. But I also push quite hard and nothing's ever a straight line. And sometimes it does feel a little bit like a pinball machine. Um, mm. But, you know, every every step forward, every piece of momentum that you get triggers something else. And I, I think um, from a founder's perspective, you know, you, you, all good, good plans and all that, but really it's about momentum. I get it. And it's that thing, you know, uh, it's it's like startups are kind of like those newborns. They, they just never sleep, right? So you're constantly attending them, fighting fires, figuring it all out and go, going it for. So looking forward to the future, what are you most excited about for with, um, with Ripper in the next, I don't know, 12 to 18 months? Well, we're moving into um, the Asian market. So we've elected to go after the emerging markets. So Singapore is the next destination for us. We're about to put somebody on the ground in Australia too um, and then pushing into Vietnam because Vietnam has committed to being paperless by 2025 and we are a fully paperless um, opportunity for that government. And of course, we've got granted IP as well, which really helps us um, and already supplying the New Zealand government. I mean, it's a natural pitch for us to, um, to rock up over over there and um, show them what we've got. We've actually got a, a global summit coming up, which is going to be hosted in Gisborne, which is where this product was born. And uh, we're very proudly, predominantly Māori owned. And so we'll be working with Ngāti Karau on this. And we're actually bringing some international visitors, governments and potential partners to New Zealand. I mean, the global head of sustainability and partnerships from Essential is flying in from the US. Um, we've got people coming from four corners to see this world-leading product. So that's super exciting too. So that's in September. How cool is that? So I wanted to jump back for that point you just said. So what government is mandating paperless? Is this paperless for the entire government in, within three years? Is that what you yeah. said? The country. The country. 
So it's actually Vietnam. So there's 100 million people in Vietnam and that government has committed to being paperless by 2025. So our business, we were lucky to have an MBA class from Victoria University come and do some analysis for us and they actually mapped that out on our behalf. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Of course, we're part of the New Zealand Trade and Enterprise uh, focused group of companies as well. Um, so they're helping us um, to get established over um, in that part of the world. Do you think New Zealand should follow that or will follow that in terms of a paperless mandate? Because that's really interesting. Sorry, we, we, we did it with plastic bags. I mean, why not? Oh. Are you about to board a plane in first class? You're, are you sitting in first class right now as you do? Look at, okay, hey, we're going to leave it there, Mel. Dude, I don't want to get any more, like, invoices or trouble for any type of legal stuff. Just get out of the way, Mel. Go enjoy your flight back. Have your little glass of champagne. Come back to Ngati Pro. Keep it real on the East Coast. Get your money in and go take on the world. Love your work. Love that. Thanks for that. Take care. Right, Mel, as always. Appreciate it, Mel Gollan from uh, Ripper. An absolute sender in the, um, in the in the ecosystem and super cool. I love the mindset of going on offense to these big, big global markets. And it's super cool when you, you talk to these founders who um, really are just taking on and, and like sh- not even shamelessly, but proud to be going after these things. It shows bravery, it shows determination, and it gets me uh, pretty stoked. So good to hear, but interesting to think about Vietnam as a government mandate by 2025 to go totally paperless. The numbers behind that might be staggering. As if you've got 100 million people, I mean, I'd love to see it. I'm going to do a bit of digging into the data on that. Uh, yeah, very, very cool. Uh, coming up after the break, we've got the bro, Paul Conway. He is the Chief Economist of the Reserve Bank in New Zealand. Oh, he had a, he had a big, big banter this week, talking about housing. We're going to be talking all through it right after the break. It is 12. Oh, no, it's not. It's 1.30. Oh, we're almost coming to the, we're halfway through, almost, almost about the end of the show, team. But we've got half an hour left. We've got two more weapons to go. See you in a sec. His goal. To destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. This is Rebet Live, episode 315 on Today FM. Find your local frequency at todayfm.co.nz. Well, everyone's got the smartphones. Get out your iPhone, your Androids, whatever. There's no sponsorship placement here, but you take whatever phone you want and download the Rover app. Uh, right now, it's time for Paul Conway, the Conway's Corner. He is the Chief Economist of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, Aotearoa, which is super cool. Uh, how are you, Paul? Kia ora, my friend. How are you? Hey. G'day, Rebet. I'm good. Good, thanks. Hey, nice, we've, nice, we've, nice hey we've, we've missed you, mate. I know you've been working on this big paper. Housing still matters. We got the, the, the I read the thing talking, you know, housing, I'm going to, I'll start here. Housing matters because everyone needs somewhere to live. It is fundamental to our well-being. Housing also matters because housing is by far the most common and most valuable investment for many, many New Zealanders. So for those that aren't aware, what have you been doing? You've obviously been keeping busy. The text looks great. Talk me through it. Yeah, well, we put out, you know, the Reserve Bank, the economics department did all this kind of rigorous uh, research on housing. And we kind of go, well, you know, how can we, that's great. But, um, you know, how can we sort of use that to communicate with New Zealanders? So we thought, well, let's wrap a speech around it that's, you know, a lot more accessible than sort of more academic-style economic research. And I gave that speech last Thursday uh, at a conference, uh, and it's put it up on our website, and it's, it's pretty much gone off, actually. It's got heaps of media, so I'm really happy about it. I really, you know, one of the things I wanted to bring to this job was communicating, you know, with Kiwis about the economy that we all live in, and off to a strong start. It's actually even been picked up by the listener. So um, it's going to be reprinted in full in the next edition of the listener next week, which is cool. I'm happy about that. 
Is this kind of one of the things, you know, we, we talked about before you started wanting to be able to get your hands stuck in and actually start to try and, you know, make it a bit more, I don't know if the conversations, like we've talked about this a bit, but are these some of the initiatives of trying to create a lot more accessibility for these type of yeah. things to, to educate crew, right? Like it, this obviously means a bunch to you and it must feel good to get them things like this out into the ecosystem to really um, help a whole bunch more people in Aotearoa, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my whole thing in this space is about improving the quality of the conversation yeah. around around the economy. And I think, you know, just listening to your show, Rebecca, like you talk about such cool stuff like the digital economy and, you know, how to invest. And, you know, I think New Zealand, we've been a bit slow out of the blocks in all of that mm. space, but I think we're catching up rapidly now. And I think one of the reasons that we were a bit sort of behind the times for a while there you know, is that generations of New Zealanders have sort of used the housing market to, to save and to invest uh, for their retirement. You know, the idea of diversifying your portfolio was to buy the house next door uh, sort of thing. So the housing market has played or plays a huge role uh, in our economy. And I just, you know, in some ways we're sort of just waking up now to, you know, maybe that's not ideal. Um, because mm. it's got, you know, it's there is a transfer of wealth there. So people who own land or houses have done pretty well out of it. But, you know, younger people trying to get on the housing ladder have kind of struggled uh, to buy a new house. So it sort of made sense for Kiwis to invest in housing, but, you know, individually. But is it optimal for us uh, as a sort of community, uh, really? And the other sort of reason why I sort of question about whether this is the way forward uh, you know, as we as I talk about in the speech, it's sort of not clear that going forward that the housing market, you know, it's been pretty much a one-way bet for at least the last 20 years. Uh, and there's a few things happening there that make me sort of, or make us sort of question whether or not that's going to be the case uh, going forward. Is part of the thinking of releasing something like this to, to try to plant some seeds or breadcrumbs to widen the perspective of other ways that capital can accrue or just really trying to, change the mindset a little bit of the actual other opportunities that exist in the ecosystem in terms of where money can go? Yeah, I think I think that's true. Like, like the other, I mean, the main reason we're interested in it is because it really matters for monetary policy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the job of the Reserve Bank is to control, keep inflation low and stable. Obviously got a bit of work to do in that space at the moment. Uh, and to keep employment at, you know, what we call it maximum sustainable level. And the housing market, because it's such an important asset for lots of New Zealanders, uh, and we change interest rates and it makes house prices move around a bit, um, and that sort of influences how wealthy people are feeling or not, which influences their spending, which kind of then goes on to influence inflation. So it's very much, um, it's very important for us as part of that monetary policy thing. But uh, a sort of sideline of putting this stuff out is that it does make people think about, oh, you know, is it sort of optimal um, mm. to, to sort of keep using housing in, in the same way that we have done? You know, it's really been a huge growth engine in our economy. And, you know, house prices sort of get, or well, they've sort of dropped off their highs a, a bit the last six months or so. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, I just, I just think the types of stuff that you talk about is a far more exciting way to grow our economy going forward than sort of trading houses amongst ourselves at, at ever-increasing prices.
Well, we keep bringing it up time and time again. You know, we, even having Todd on before, $60 million business, 500 staff, and the dudes in flipping the, the Bay of Islands hanging out and he's using the internet connection. A lot of these things, we you really need to zoom out for a second and realise that, you know, this, this digital comedy is real, the amount of efficiency that can make businesses faster is real, all of it, you know. So when you come, it starts to change that, especially when, um, not that, you know, being in Silicon Valley, everything's, you know, got a few more zeros to it, but it's on this tech side. It just becomes really yeah. frustrating when, when people talk about investment or whatever and they just will say, you know, fishing, forestry or farming, blah, blah, blah. It's like, hey, I get all that. That's all good. But I think the word you used, which was interesting, is optimal. Is this the most optimal yeah. way we can al- allocate this capital, you know? And, I, and through the report, it was just saying this bit here, it says, you know, the, the, uh, the research shows that over the years, the demand side of the housing market was boosted by a strong population growth, steadily declining neutral interest rates and a favourable tax system. The supply side, however, yeah. has been held back by strict land use regulations and a construction sector prone to boom-bust cycles while carrying yeah. very high building costs. So, you know, it, it's broken yeah. it down in a simple way that... Um, I mean, I, I didn't study all, all this, these fancy words, but I'm, I get it and I can see it and it, it's it's cool. So where to from here, the feedback, what's the yeah. feedback been so far and what has it started to sort of shift the needle in terms of some of the conversations that are happening internally there? Oh, yeah, it's sparked some good, it's sparked some good conversations. You know, that, that's the kind of co-papa is to make this stuff accessible. And I think, you know, everybody understands it. It doesn't matter, you know, what you've got in school cert or anything like that. Like, you live in the economy, you may or may not own a house, you know, you feel these things. So if we can put it in the right language, uh, people will get it. Um, so, yeah, and, and what you're describing there, you know, the housing that has, um, as I said, played an outside role, out, out, you know, it's kind of bigger in New Zealand as part of our national psyche and part of the economy compared to other countries. Um, you know, we've had really strong population growth. We haven't built enough houses for those people. Um, interest rates globally have been declining for decades. So that's not about monetary policy. That's what we call the neutral interest rate. Uh, and that's had a huge impact on the housing mark- market globally. And the fact is, you know, we haven't built enough houses in response to that. And also housing has been tax advantaged, at least historically. That's changed a bit lately. Um, but, you know, all that sort of extra demand, because the supply side of the housing market has been a bit stuck, um, a bit sort of slow to respond, so extra demand, you know, ends up as higher house prices instead of more houses, which is sort of what you want. Uh, and mm. the point that I make in the speech is a lot of that stuff is changing. So population growth is slowing down. You know, a lot of New Zealanders are heading offshore seeking new experiences post the, the pandemic. Uh, and sort of inward migration is, you know, we're not going back to pre-COVID levels uh, of migration. Interest rates, you know, monetary policy, the Reserve Bank is tightening interest rates, so that's going to have an impact. Uh, and there's been changes in the tax system. Uh, and also um, there's been changes in terms of the supply of land. So the Resource Management Act is getting replaced and reimagined uh, at the moment, and councils have been required to sort of, you know, sort of remove regulations that restrict density. Um, so, you know, maybe we are turning to a place where house prices just aren't going to keep going up um, forever and ever, um, which is great. You know, prices just don't, there's no price that will just keep going up forever. They'll all sort of revert at some point. Um, so, you know, in the speech, we're just sowing those seeds. What would that mean for a sort of optimal investment strategy for an individual? And, you know, what does it mean for the New Zealand economy if we don't have house prices sort of pushing things along? You know what else can we do? And you know, from from for my money, it's it is that digital space uh, that you talk about. You know, the fact that 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 he can run a business out of the Bay of Islands, employing so many people, 
uh, you know, using digital technologies is just incredible. You sort of expand that up to the size of New Zealand and there's new opportunities there for the current generation uh, of entrepreneurial Kiwis that simply weren't there, uh, you know, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. So the world is changing. Uh, and I think our housing market is part of that change, which is great. It's exciting. Well, you, you finish off perfectly saying, you know, for several decades we've traded houses amongst ourselves at ever-increasing prices in the belief that we were creating prosperity. But the tide may well have turned against housing being a one-way bet for a generation of Kiwis. Mm. We need to keep building yeah. a new approach to housing and economic prosperity in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I love it. And yeah. on that note, what a great way to finish off, mate. I'm, I'm stoked that you got this out and congratulations to start, you know, shifting the dial and changing some of these conversations and making it more accessible for, you know, the, the rest of us crew that can't, isn't so good at the spreadsheet yeah. reading, mate. So so well yeah, done, yeah. Brian, and good on you. Enjoy Thank the weekend. Yeah, if people want to access it, just go to the Reserve Bank uh, Reserve Bank of New Zealand website and you can find it all, all there. Have a good read. It's good, accessible stuff. Thanks, Rebet. Nice chatting. My man, legend. So the website there is rbnz.gov.nz. rbnz.gov.nz. It's very cool to see, um, you know, Mr Conway getting out and, you know, starting these conversations and getting more people thinking about it because I love that, you know, thought of just, you know, being the one-way bet. It's not necessarily the case. You're talking about soft landings of all, all the other stuff too. So uh, don't forget, but you can text me through on 3920. Ask a question, say what's up, whatever you'd like to do. I hope the day is charging along well. After the break, it's banter with Bruce. He's a very smart human. He's going to be giving us some nuggets of wisdom for us to uh, to make our life a little bit better. What is a nugget? Well, you got to stick around and stay with us and find out. Time now is 1.44 p.m. Mentor. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. As we almost come to the end of the show here for hour number two for Rebet Live, episode 317. We've done a few of these ones. Uh, hope that is charging. It's that time of the week we catch up with Mr. Bruce Pilbrow, the CEO of Spirit of Adventure. He joins me each week to, you know, to share some wisdom with this young buck that's trying to make his way on the come-up. How are you, Bruce? Get on, my friend. <laughs> the introductions are getting better and better, mate. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm working my round. Sooner, sooner or later, I'll just stop abusing you after we, just, we do it for so long, but for now, it's, we're going to stay positive. <laughs> oh, stay in the love. This is stay in the of love. That's awesome. How, how are you, Yeah, bro? yeah. Yeah, I'm good, man. How are you? You had a good week? Have had a good week. Um, playing catch up, trying to you know I've had a bit of travel, so trying to clear the deck again and just get get a bit more headspace up. Um, I'm sure I'm probably not as busy as you hanging out on yachts, putting your feet up, and floating around on sunsets, <laughs> having a little whatever it is that you do as a well, CEO spirit adventure. I do jump on a plane tomorrow. Uh, I'm going, heading up to New Caledonia for a seven days break, but um, so sorry about that. Um, but um, you're not yeah, sorry I'm, about yeah, that. Don't don't fake apologise. <laughs> Because you go to New Caledonia to hang out for a week in the sun. Whatever, Bruce. All right, what's on your mind? Yeah, Tell me something. I need sun. Yeah. Um, well, I've actually had a really good week. Um, so this, I actually want to talk about my team. So the Spirit of Adventure um, every year has to do a refit. So we have to put the boat, the ship aside for um, for about six weeks and we tear it apart and we fix things and we, we find problems. And, you know, it's um, it's pretty scary stuff, actually. You're cutting, in, cutting into a $25 million ship and... And you always find stuff that you don't expect or problems and challenges. And, and again, this year we've, we've finished reefer under budget and on time, in fact, under time. And I just reflected this week, actually, the core thing to our success, the major component to our success for reefer, uh, but for everything we do, is the team that we have at the Spirit. 
Um, and I just got me thinking about the val- the value and the and and how precious our teams are, uh, and how we must protect them and fight for them and look after them and create a beautiful place for them to work uh, at all costs. And hmm. you and I have both experienced, mate, when you get a bad a bad you know a bad nugget in the team and what it can do. And, I, and I've got a question for you, and I, and I haven't answered it myself, mate, but sometimes we will employ capability over a person just being a good person. And I think there's got to be a balance between those two things. But I don't know about you, how many times do you work with people that are super capable, but it just ducks? <laughs> and then you work with people that just build your team and just amazing people to have on board, but maybe not as capable. Um, and where's the balance between the two? Is sort of what I've been sort of pondering this week. Well, there it's that thing that for a starter. No, it's it's, <laughs> it's good. I like it, Bruce, because there's that saying, you know, is a uh, hire for attitude, train for skill. Um, yes. One time where I hired for skill without double checking the attitude, I learnt really quick that it didn't yeah. go so good. And um, yeah. you know, when we did we did our um, retreat and we had we did a a, a sports a high performance thing and we had um, Nathan McCollum up there and he was talking about team in terms oh, of dynamic news. and he really was saying yeah. he was saying you know one bad apple can take the yeah. whole it might be 10% of the team but what is toxicity take the team down more than 10% and I thought it was a really yeah. creative way to think about putting a monetary non-emotive fact behind a decision because <laughs> if you go look yeah. I have a team of 10 people and I put this one toxic apple oh but man you know he or she's the best at sales it's going to be so sweet all this cash is going to come in what if that that one person kills the vibe by 50% you've just lost half that workforce's energy and effort but oh. you're right go oh sorry just saying it destroys your customers you know I mean think mm. of day, that, that apple could could sell a lot of product but but you don't have longevity with the customer um and you know I, I, I've sort of been challenging myself because, I mean, you know me, I'm a type A person. And I, I, like to get, I like to move at pace. I like to get things done fast. And sometimes I get fresh, frustrated by capability. But then I kind of go, well, maybe I just need to slow down a little bit because the people that are around me are incredible people and they're making my life a joy at the moment. And so maybe it's okay to go a little bit slower and have joy around you than going hard and working with people that are not going to build your soul or who you are as a business or even build your business, you know? And... It's a balance, but I sometimes think we probably chase the capability in the dollar more than we chase the personality and the and the culture. Hmm. I think <laughs> you are right, but I, I wonder if the headspace is different for the space that you sit in now, not being a possibly corporate that has quarterly reports and earnings or whatever. Because I love the I, I think you are right though. Leaders are going wider in terms of their um, their, I guess, care for others and the transparency and the yeah. vulnerability with it. Like that, that's definitely happening. But I also then think, you know, is the mindset within these organizations that make the short term weak move where they're hiring for skill, not necessary attitude, but they'll deal with it because they need to dot, 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 try and hit their next quarter, try and close that next big deal, do the transaction, whatever. Yeah. I guess it, it comes to navigating this, the, the balance of the team versus transactions versus relationships or something. This comes down to leadership, Correct. though, right? I think it- 100% mate and look I've been in teams where we've hired like you've said mate you've hired 100% for skill and it seems really good at the time and then a year later you look back and go yeah we hit some of our KPIs um, but I've also worked with a team that may not that is a more of a high functioning team a team where people can come and belong and, and, and builds a beautiful culture and you still hit the KPIs so mm. I think what I guess I'm trying to 
do is break the misnomer that you have to hire a gun that's basically going to conquer. And actually, there's a, um, a tangible um, EBITDA return on building a team that is high-functioning in regards to um, working together as a team, being part of a family, uh, and looking after each other, et cetera, because you want to work there. So the thing about the spirit of the last two weeks, so they're coming into a $25 million ship. I mean, things can go wrong real fast. Like, you can make a mistake. You can, you can like, a budget can go from 100000 to 300000 in a matter of seconds. But it doesn't. And I was thinking, why? And the reason why is because everyone working on that ship loves it. They love what it's about. They really believe in it. They believe in the culture. They believe in the vision. And so, therefore, therefore they treat it like their own business. And, therefore, they, they give you an absolute 100%. And it's done with a really good attitude. And so, we, we are seeing success from that. Mm. Um, but last, you know, last year, we had a bit of a bad apple in there. And it just destroyed the whole place. And it just made it so much more difficult. So oh, sorry about that, mate. I thought I was a good fit for the organisation. Sorry, I didn't didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be awesome. No, I know what you mean. Crazy, I, I, crazy. But also, you know what I'm saying is that you no, know, yeah, yeah. I've got an amazing team. I've got an incredible team, and and we're seeing real success from it. And um, but they're quite a yes. You're right. It is quite different in the NGO, but in some ways it's not because we've got less to work with. So every dollar we work with, we have to turn into two dollars and three dollars. We don't have budgets and money lying around. So in some ways, they're more skilled in, in certain areas. Um, so but I have a just, question around yeah, the, the size of the team. I have a, a question about the size of team. Do you feel yeah. that bigger organisations and companies can genuinely have the same scalability of that intent within the organisation? Like, who's the greatest, biggest company that you know with that type of uh, uh, that solid type of culture that's actually converting commercially? Well, I'm a big fan of JP, right? Uh, Jason Paris at Vodafone. And there's a couple of things that he does really, really well, which I learned from. Like, he walks the floor. He, he, you oh. know, he has a presence. You know who he is. You know, if you walk around Vodafone, everyone knows who JP is. And, and he walks he walks the office. And, and so there's a sense of, I'm human. I'm just like you. Yes, I am the CEO, but at the end of the day, I'm one of the team that wants to move forward for greatness for this brand. Um, you watch them on social, you know, any new person that starts at Vodafone, even the most junior, JP will jump on there and go, welcome to the team, it's good to have you there. You know, there's a real connection mm. to the humanity. And I, and I think I think that's the key thing is that we sh- we got, can't hide in boardrooms and offices and things. We actually have to do that. And some of us older leaders have to learn, take a, take a page out of younger leaders and think about that, is that really what we're trying to do is bring together humanity with a desired outcome. And that desired outcome is moving us from A to B strategically. But it's a, but it's still a bunch of humans and a bunch of people. And if you create that right environment, I, I will guarantee you get success. I've seen it, and I've worked well, on both sides. Well, I, I think too when the leaders when the leaders that are potentially perceived as being in the ivory tower that's untouchable or they can't get to for whatever reason, then all of a sudden they're you know they're they're humanized. They're 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 in a casual t-shirt saying what's up there's no you know this yeah, the, the hierarchy exactly. feels to disappear a lot I, I do think new zealand has a lot more of these stronger leaders who are starting to do that and it definitely resonates yeah. and converts through because when you talk to a whole bunch of different employees within it they feel like they are a bit more relatable or accessible whatever right which is which Correct. is pretty awesome yeah it's like a shepherd you're walking with the flock and you're walking towards a goal and you're not running ahead of it and, and hoping they'll keep up and i just think you know, for me, I love my team, and um, it's their passion and drive that makes it successful, and and their unity as a team, and the love for each other, and that's what I'd rather work for, to be honest. I'm not interested in anything else, personally. 
Mate, I love it. And on that note, we'll Drop leave you mic. to the rest of your weekend. <laughs> and, hey, it, have an amazing week next week away. I know you said you're sorry for not being with us. You're, dude, you're not sorry. You're going to New Caledonia. You're going to have your feet up. You'll be having little Mai Tais on the beach, kicking your feet up, just yeah. living the flipping dream. You Don't don't talk to me about being sorry, mate. You're going to be loving Spend it and well-deserved. Spend time on gorgeous wife, yeah. <laughs> All right, matey. She's also just listening now as well, so don't try and give her props so you don't sleep on the couch like usual, mate. Calm it down. <laughs> Jingle bells. All right, much love, brother. What a legend. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebette Live. On Today FM. As we kick our feet up with our Mai Tais, just like we're Bruce Perbauer in, uh, in New Caledonia. Thanks so much for everyone for tuning in today. Cool show, episode 317. What did we learn this week? Well, we'll talk through it. One, the language of money. Trying to just really um, open up that thinking around language money for others unlearning the bad skills which have been planted in your head that doesn't exist being able to hire for attitude and then train for skill that's obviously pretty important um, and then for the learn share repeat section we had the attributes by Rich Deboney the leading edge and how the mighty falls those were the three books for the day I hope that the rest of your Saturday goes well I hope the rest of the weekend goes awesome and thanks so much for joining us. This has been awesome. I've got one last thing. We've got Rebette's Book of Wisdom. Last one. It's never too late to re-examine choices. There you go. Oh, thanks for that. That's what we learned this week. And obstacles are muscle builders. So is the gym, but sometimes I stay away from that obstacle. Enjoy the rest of the weekend, team. Adios. See you soon. Peace.